a special episode of the fabulous pelton cast i'm your co-host kevin pelton and i'm tristan carcino and we are coming to you in different countries today i'm recording from cabo san lucas mexico where the mariners have won more playoff games in the three days i've been in mexico than the previous 21 years stay in mexico <laughs> wow you're uh, banished I... you are banished from the country this I... time fortunately not to canada you left us, though. You left us, though. People were asking, asking last night for Pelton Cast. No, no not, not people. Person. God. Person. I got a text. I got a single okay. text. I think there was an Instagram DM. There was a DM. I don't know if there were any tweets. No tweets. You left us for Mexico without a dope beat to step to. Kevin, you're down there at Sandals All-Inclusive or whatever, and I'm here in Seattle, Washington, home of the AL wildcard champion Seattle Mariners. They crowd, they crowd a champion for that, right? <laughs> Did the Mariners beat the Guardians somehow for that honor? I mean, they Wild score a card lot, round champions. They scored a lot more runs than the Guardians. I don't know if that's how it works, the AL wildcard championship. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a thrilling pair of games, the first of which I mostly followed through ESPN Gamecast because uh, the first pitch was during my flight and then it was an extended wait to get through customs and then a drive. And by the time I checked into my hotel room and successfully found the channel, the Mariners were on ESPN2 down here. Uh, it was the top of the ninth inning. So there we go. I got to let see Munoz give, close it out. Let me give you two words to describe game one. What's that? Luis Castillo. Hello. Welcome is... to the playoffs, Luis Castillo. This is why you're here. And I also, I saw a tweet earlier today from uh, uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, known, noted astrophysicist. Some people thought that he was talking about the movie Top Gun Maverick, but no. He was talking about a hit in the first inning of game one of the Mariners wildcard champion series. He said, when Cal, in his first playoff at bat, ripped it at Mach 10.5, the ball was going 7,000 miles per hour, giving it 400 million joules of kinetic energy, the explosive power of 100 kilograms of big dumps, a situation that Canadian physiology is not designed to survive. So no, the Blue Jays did not walk away from this series. They're dead. Very dead. Wow. That was your hot take for this one? Sure. <laughs> I mean, it was a pretty thrilling start to this one with, bam, Gino Suarez double to bring home Julio. Bam, Cal Raleigh home run to make it 3 nothing. You said it was very stressful watching this, and I had observed that, at least in my perspective, of not knowing exactly what was going on at any given time, that it seemed <laughs> like about the least stressful playoff game possible because the Mariners scored so quickly and then were never particularly threatened the rest of the way. I mean, they were base runners, but you know, it never got real dicey. You want to know? And you want to know how I know you're a bandwagon jumper? How's that? <laughs> you weren't stressed about a Mariners playoff game. I know. <laughs> We've seen this team before. Look, maybe this 2022 Mariners team is built different. Not maybe this 2022 Mariners team is built different. But if you have been a Mariners fan in any capacity over the last. 
I'm gonna I'm gonna stretch it not just the playoff drought. We'll stretch it all the way back to 19 the 90s, right? If you've been a Mariners fan for the last 30 years, you know that something bad is just about to happen. And so the entire game, I'm like, Castillo's gonna wind down. All of a sudden, the fastballs are going to be 97 instead of 99 or whatever. I'm like, they'll bring in Seawald. He'll blow it. Something like that. I'm like, something is going to go wrong. It'll have felt destined that the Mariners are going to win this game. And then something will happen. And lo and behold, Castillo had maybe his most dominant performance as a Mariner in game one of the playoffs against a team that we now own. We own the Toronto Blue Jays and not even just that. We own the North. All of Canada. The South. All you mean. of Canada. It's the ours. South. It's ours. The second that the Expos moved and the Mariners defeated the Blue Jays, Canada is ours. Annex, bitches. <laughs> what was the latitude again? <laughs> 73.9 motherfuckers. Something like no, that. No, it's definitely much smaller than that. Uh <laughs> Pretty sure it's forty-two forty. Our fight was the uh, the slogan out here west, where we're we're much north. Uh, yeah, I, I I mean that's interesting because you say I jumped on the bandwagon. Forty-three point six five motherfuckers. Okay, I listened to a podcast a week ago where one of the co-hosts said that all of a sudden with this year's Mariners, there's a confidence that good things are going to happen and not a fear that bad things are going to happen. That just immediately go away as soon as the playoffs started. Correct. Yes. No. I, the, <laughs> Okay, so that, I mean, that, that was game one, right? Dominant performance by Castillo. It was interesting. The thing that I thought was most interesting about it was how generally calm the team seemed to be, right? That first inning that the Mariners had, they didn't, I think the Blue Jays were a little bit tighter in the series than the Mariners were. Because ultimately, the Mariners are like, they've had their celebration. We're living on borrowed time here, right? Their, their, their first celebration. Julio is not going to be overwhelmed by these moments. Julio is just out there having fun playing baseball, right? He didn't have an amazing series, but the thing that Julio did this series was he looked exactly the same as he looked in the regular season. Yeah. All the time. When he's hugging Vladi at first base, you're just like, this fucking guy. How do, what did we do to deserve Julio Rodriguez? It's the 20 years of pain. We didn't, we didn't earn it. 20 years of suffering that we did, <laughs> that we deserved Julio. How much of that suffering did you suffer? I, th- I think I've revisited this. I think I've been a Mariners fan more seasons than you think. Okay. Anyway, anyway, I was looking back and I was like, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember this. I remember cheering for this team. So, you still anyway. Didn't, you still didn't score as well in that Seattle Times quiz as I did. A lot of it was just fucking minutia. It, it was not really necessarily Mariners related. Anyway. Like the specific, that is not a thing that I can remember. I can't ever remember which year the Seahawks won the Super Bowl, right? That's correct. I have to correct you I many times. I barely know what year my children were born. So if you're going to ask me about Aaron Ledesma in 2007, I'm not getting that right. I'm also anyway. much better at knowing which years your children were born. Yes. Paul Abbott over here. The Which was misspelled one of the, at least one of the times. Yeah. Take that Seattle times. Pelton Cass would have spelled that right. Uh <laughs> They stole our idea of doing quizzes from that one trivia we did. The The other interesting piece of it was the conversation during the game of Castillo was was the gem at the deadline. And it was kind of funny where it's like, in the other league, there's a player playing who was maybe the number one player at the deadline who got traded in Juan Soto. But just how the conversation around Castillo has flipped. And it's like, 
immediately the Mariners went out and got a true ace pitcher, right? Robbie Ray is very good. George Kirby is very good. Logan Gilbert is very good. Luis Castillo is the Mariners ace from that moment forward. He probably was the day that that they signed him or that they traded for him. But then the Mariners locking him up, having him start game one of these playoffs. This is Luis Castillo's pitching staff now. Wow. Okay. Should we talk about game two? He shut, he shut out the Blue Jays in the Mariners' first playoff game in 21 years. He's the unquestioned ace of the Mariners' staff. I don't know if I would describe it as his pitching staff necessarily. Still after, Robbie, after Robbie Rain game two, it well, is. Someone, I think it might have been Adam Jude, had a tweet about, or no, no, it wasn't him. I forget who it was. it was. There was some Seattle sports media member had a tweet saying, like, we all expected that Robbie Ray was going to get rocked in this game, right? And it was like, no, I, I didn't expect that. I shouldn't. I mean, it, it seemed like a tough him matchup. If that was your expectation, right? right. <laughs> Maybe you should have told Scott about that, Adam Jude. <laughs> it was. It definitely wasn't Adam Jude. It was covering this game in Toronto. We all expected. I. I after the first inning that Ray had, I definitely did not expect him to get rocked. But there were just too many balls that were out over the plate. I mean, they highlighted it, but he he did not have amazing stuff. And and again, that sneaking feeling in the back of my mind, right? There's kind of two of them bat- battling each other now in the 2022 Mariners, which was, okay, the Mariners dominated game one. They have their one playoff victory. Ray's going to get rocked. We're going to have to go into game three. My confidence is in Logan Gilbert winning a one-game playoff against this Blue Jays offense. I don't know. I was so ready was for so, game it was, three. It was sitting back there. where it's just like, we had our fun in game one. We won the game, but we all know that the Blue Jays are going to win the series. But there was the other piece, the other piece that was battling it. And that's the 2022 Mariners chaos ball piece. And they didn't even, weren't even able to capitalize a lot of times on runners early in that game. There were so many missed opportunities where you looked at it and you're like, that was the opportunity, right? Like the bases are loaded with one out and they score a run or something like that. And you're like, ah, they just, they couldn't quite find the exact right moment. And then, or even the Carlos Santana ball that I thought was a homer. They reviewed it, and I still thought it was a homer after the review. Um, we'll talk about the Mariners or the Seahawks later, also about some plays after review. But, but there's that sneaking suspicion back there of just like they've been able to do this before. They've played some very, very strange baseball, and they've fought back. And they were they were hitting the ball fairly hard like julio in this game had a lot of hard hit balls that didn't end up being hits you know the the extent to which i was like prepared to go to game three was let's get Luis Torrens out there on the mound let's see what he can do and let's save the bullpen for game three because you're going to need them then and thankfully scott service is not the pessimist that i am because even after seawald got rocked he went to diego castillo to get out of that jam he I mean, I went to Munoz to to pitch the eighth, although by that point, the game had gotten much closer. And lo and behold, the Mariners find their way back in this game in a way that I probably atypical of the 2022 Mariners to win this kind of high scoring game, even if winning a close game wasn't necessarily atypical for them. I mean, it, it was just the, the chipping away at it, right? You get to eight one, right? It's like five, four one. You're like, eh, maybe then Seawald comes out and gets rocked. And then the next inning, the Mariners have the bases loaded. They only score on the wild pitch. And you're like, ah. And then, or sorry, not they only score on the wild pitch. They score on the wild pitch, and you're like, that's all they're getting. Carlos is up. Blast the would-have-been Grand Slam. 
and you're back into it. But then even right out of that, the Mariners give up another run and you're like, this just isn't happening here. Right. Right. Like when they give up that run, you're just like, it's, it's not really going to happen. The the next inning was where they only score the one run, right? It's nine, six. And then no, no, I, I keep missing this. I thought there was only one inning where they scored one run after having, I guess that was the only the Kellenic inning where Kellenic had the like pretty weak sack fly where they end up with only one run in a good situation. Um, but the times later where they keep chipping away at it, right? And you're like, ah, it's 8-2. Okay, it's 8-5. Now it's 9-5. Cal Rally with the monster game. And then you're looking at it and you're like, the bases are juiced. J.P. Crawford is up. And it's just like, just walk or whatever. Just get us to Julio, right? Just yeah. something. Can you just, a seeing eye single, anything at all, just get us to Julio in this at-bat. The ball is skied high in the air. Three defenders are closing in on it. And you're like, that might fall. That might get down. Even toward the last second, you're like, maybe, maybe, maybe. All of a sudden, there's a collision from the Blue Jays outfielders. I couldn't even necessarily tell how many runs had scored on that play Me until either. after they brought it back. I thought only two runs had scored. Same. They bring it back. They show that all three runners are scored. Boom, the game is tied. It's a totally different baseball game from that point forward. And I had no context of audio because I was watching this at the pool bar while streaming the UW football game at Arizona State at the same time. So it's really just counting on the the camera work to understand what's going on. And then sadly, you had the extended delay there where George Springer needs to come off due to that collision. Bo Bichette was able to stay in the game, but uh, kind of a horrible situation in the wake of this thrilling moment for the Mariners, but it did still result in a tied game. Resulted in a tied game. You're you're heading after that. Munoz gets out of the jam. And in the ninth, Cal Rally. He was moved up to cleanup. I feel like it must be basically the entire time all season he's hit that high. All of a sudden, it's the playoffs. And Cal's hitting cleanup. And comes through again with a monster double into the gap. Adam Frazier, who was monster in this game. And again, Frazier is somebody who, going into the season, we expected him to get hits. And this is the exact type of situation that you needed exactly what Adam Frazier can do. Cal gets the second. Frazier, with the double, ends up scoring Cal. We're heading to the bottom of the ninth. And Munoz closes it out. Munoz doesn't close it out? Or, what sorry, are you talking about? God damn it. I keep saying this wrong. I feel like I want to start <laughs> over all this. <laughs> it's too late. And... Sorry, Munoz the previous day. George Kirby comes in to close it out. Who were wait we were waiting on. We were also at the point where it's just like putting Castillo again, right? Like just fucking give it to give him to us on one day rest. Just get through <laughs> this game. Right. But knowing that George Kirby was there, based, a player who could have easily started probably this game, who could have definitely been the starter for the next game, uh, knowing that you can go to Kirby in relief to pick up that last inning, it was an incredible moment. Cal Raleigh hit cleanup on uh, the in the game that the Mariners won the walk off against Atlanta was the only time in the regular season he hit cleanup. So he's hit and, cleanup once every game that Cal has hit cleanup. Mariners are three and zero with monster performances by Cal Raleigh. and did not hit higher than eighth until June thirteenth. So it's been quite right. a climb up the lineup for Cal. I mean, he's look. There's there's a lot of legends from you know this this year's team is going to go down in Mariners history and hopefully many years to come is the start of something but Cal Raleigh what he's done over the past eight days here nine days or whatever it is one of the most incredible all-time stretches in Mariners history 
to all of a sudden having a, a thousand OPS in the playoffs in his first ever playoffs, 1500 OPS. So he, winning not only takes away the stress of game three, it also allows you to set up your rotation in your bullpen a little bit better going into this ALDS matchup against the, they're not the big bad because the Yankees are the big bad, but the Astros are also the big bad in their own different, more frightening way. I kind of think the Strohs are the number one big bad. I mean, they're the, they're clearly the better of the two teams. If you had to choose who you wanted to face, you'd choose the Yankees, both from the history element and from the not as deep a team element. But there is an there. I think there is something to be said for this year's playoffs about like the Mariners are creating new rivalries. They'd never played the Blue Jays in the playoffs. You would always had that Canadian fans coming down rivalry, uh, that battle over the South. And now it's the team that's atop the, the... We were battling for the North. No, again, because Toronto is down South. You're battling, battling over the South. That they are the South. Yes. <laughs> and now you have the Astros, the dominant team in the AL West, the dominant team in the AL in the past five years. And all of a sudden, you know, you get a chance to play them in the playoffs. And the Mariners haven't been in the playoffs since the Astros have been in the AL. That is correct. Yes. So this is their this is their first chance to play them in the playoffs, <laughs> unless they had both made the World Series at some point, which did not come particularly close to happening in the same year at any point. The Astros are the number one evil. They are the number one evil in all of baseball at this very moment. The Yankees are mildly likable. Sure, until we, yeah, until we play them in the ALCS, the Yankees are mildly likable. But the Astros are the most hated team in baseball. And straight up, they have been Mariners kryptonite this year. Every time we're feeling good about ourselves, the Astros are there to take to sweep or take three of four or whatever, right? So the Astros won change. The Astros won the series season series 12-7, although reasonably close. It was a plus eight run differential for Houston. They won six of seven matchups in July after the All-Star game, including a sweep at T-Mobile Park. And notably, the Astros went five and one in Justin Verlander's six starts against the Mariners, which is a lot to start against a single opponent. He'll surely get the ball in game one for what will be his first postseason start since losing in game six of the 2019 World Series won by the Nationals in seven games. Uh, Verlander coming off the Tommy John surgery that cost him all but one start in 2020 and 2021, back in prime form, led the AL in ERA, led the AL in whip, ranked third in war, and he is number three among all active players in career war, tops among pitchers. So this is going to be a test. He has not seen the new Cal rally. <laughs> it's true. Verlander meet the big dumper. Come on. You're going to tell Alec Manoa was a test. Yeah, this is Justin Verlander is a different level. <laughs> he's, when you're going through the bosses in Super Mario Brothers, he's a much bigger one. The other piece that I thought the, I mean, the Mariners scored 10 runs against the Blue Jays in this game, right? In game two, like, yes. The offense played very well, even in game one. It wasn't like the bats were dead nope. during game one. I mean, they uh, got to Manoa. A ton after the first inning, but there was some meat left on the bone with the bats, is what I would say. Julio in particular. I mean, Julio was hitting the ball hard, but he wasn't getting hits necessarily out of those. There, there was more that could have been done offensively, despite the fact that they scored 10 runs, right? It wasn't like the Mariners reached outside of Cal, maybe Frazier, the maximum of their potential. I, th I think this offense, I think there's more to this offense when everybody is healthy than people realize. I, I certainly hope so. Now is the time for it. 
I mean, this is it. Everybody's there. Everybody's healthy. We've been waiting an entire month to get to this point. Whoa. Whoa. First of all, how dare you? Not everyone is healthy. It's true. Sam Hager Day. Just watching from the clubhouse, sadly. It was. It was just like the outfield depth is pretty bleak. <laughs> pretty bleak with the outfield depth. Kellenick's still waiting on that first playoff hit. But can you just imagine like the first hit of the game or something against Verlander? It's a 1-0 lead. And it's a Jared Kellenic Homer. <laughs> I mean, it's fun to imagine. I agree. <laughs> like, I literally cannot imagine that. <laughs> uh, this is this is what we've been asking for, though, right? Having the opportunity. This isn't the fucking wild card round or whatever. This isn't the Toronto Blue Jays. This is the worst team, the most hated team in baseball. And we know we're getting at least three games. And we know that baseball, playoff baseball, is coming back to Seattle. And hopefully two games in Seattle so that we can go in game four. Uh, the Astros have advanced the ALCS each of the last five seasons, World Series three times in that span every other year, 2017, 2019, and 2021. They won the World Series in 2017, lost the last two appearances. They have not made the World Series in an even-numbered year. So we got that going for us, which there is nice. Go. This year's 106 wins the second most in Houston franchise history behind 2019. The Astros boasted five All-Stars, Verlander, obviously, and fellow starter Framber Valdez, both making it along with three hitters, uh, longtime stalwart Jose Altuve, right fielder Kyle Tucker, and DH Jordan Alvarez, who led the team in war in just 135 games thanks to his 37 home runs and 613 slugging percentage. Terrifying. Truly terrifying. Altuve posted a 921 OPS, so still dominant in his own right. Just two other Astros regulars topped 800 OPS, though. So maybe not as deep a lineup as it has been at times. Yeah, if there's a weakness for the team that won 105 games. <laughs> 106. 106 short change, though. That's it. <laughs> but the reality is, I mean, how many games did the Mets win this year? Uh, I, I don't know that off the top of my head. But you're, you're saying because they're about to get knocked out? or is yeah. That from, yeah, they're down 4 nothing in the top of the eighth as we record. It's just, this is playoff baseball. The better team doesn't always win. The team that played better during the regular season doesn't always win. We learned that in 2001, right? We went into that season thinking that the Mariners were going to go to the World Series for their first time ever. And it's a five-game series. Anything can happen. Chaos ball can happen. Can the Mariners sneak a game out here? Could they win? It's like win one of two in Houston with the chance to close it out in Seattle. Come on. I mean, that would be huge because, I mean, the crowd in Seattle... Is going to be unbelievable. I was glancing at the schedule and they've we, got We don't the, have times yet, right? We do not have times yet for game three and game I want four. A night game. I want a night game in Seattle. Game one is looked like it's probably gonna be played at noon, I think, Pacific time in On Houston. Tuesday? Oh my god. Yes. Game three, game two Tuesday is the one time we have officially a start time for in Houston. That's at twelve thirty PM Pacific time. Fucking kidding me. They don't but, just don't want us to work. But three and four still T B day, which game three going up against not, not that it means as much as it used to. UW hosting Arizona. Game four, Seahawks hosting Arizona. So uh, it's going to be a busy weekend in Seattle sports with the Kraken home opener, I believe, also on Saturday. Wait, really? I think so. Oh, my God. I guess the Coyotes. <laughs> uh, I'm just, I don't know. If that's... So we're looking at day games for Tuesday and Thursday. Uh, they're hosting the Golden, the Vegas Knights, Golden oh, Knights yeah, on Saturday. Hate, hated rival, yeah. Golden Knights. The expansion rival. Uh, okay. All right. Well, I'm going to have to start scheduling some meetings around that. <laughs> <laughs> around that information. 
Good luck with that. <laughs> I didn't realize this. It's pretty wild that just like play four games at nighttime and let people just choose their game. Uh, do you want to give chances of victory for this series? 100%. <laughs> I don't know. Chances of victory for a series? We did it for the Blue Jays series. What did we put it at? I said 45. You were definitely over 50. You might have been at 60. Well, then I'm all the way to 100 for this one. Oh, there you go. All right, I'm going to go 30. <laughs> Balance it out a little bit. All right, do we want to talk about the Seahawks briefly? Mm -hmm. So they play that New Orleans. Uh, the defense, still not so great. Geno Smith, still awesome, but not enough in this one. I mean, I would. there's no way you could blame Geno in any way for this game. No, I'm saying not Seahawks enough. Offense. The Seahawks offense was awesome. The defense was just too bad in this game. I I got to say, it probably was not a great sign for the Seahawks defense. Obviously, we were seeing some other not great signs when the Lions got shut out by the Patriots. That was kind of wild, actually. <laughs> uh, the Seahawks sucked me back in this week. I, I said to you... Uh, the touchdown that DK scored, the first touchdown, I was like, that was the first touchdown that the Seahawks have scored this year that I really, really cared about. That I was fully back in on the Seahawks. It took those previous four weeks to process everything that happened or whatever and to start liking this team, I think. It was a little bit of a, like, what are we going to do here? What is this? And at the very least, I, I thought the team would be boring. I'm here. We saw on Thursday night, what a very frustrating football team looks like to watch. And that, and a honestly a pretty boring football team looks like to watch. And that football team is coached or is quarterbacked by Russell Wilson. The Seahawks are not that. The they Seahawks look like let Russ cook era football. The defense is somehow even worse than that defense was. But like at the very least, if you're going to be bad and if your defense is going to be that bad, might as well be fun. And the Seahawks team is definitely fun. You can't tell me that they're not. This is unlike, honestly, this is unlike any team that Pete Carroll's coached in Seattle. Oh, without question. It's a, the only team it's like is this year's UW football team. It's kind of <laughs> wild. We just, we, Seattle's all about offense. <laughs> Who knew? Uh, Coach Pete in 2015 era, Pete Carroll rolling over in their graves at all of this lack of defense in Seattle right now. But uh Every the, time they said John Schneider on the broadcast, you probably didn't hear this because you weren't able to hear the sound. But the I, Blue Jays I wasn't able to watch it. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> I saw those tweets. Yes. Uh, the the unfortunate takeaway from today's game, besides the loss, the loss of Rashad Penny to what, what uh, Ian Rappaport reported is a fractured tibia that will <sighs> likely require season-ending surgery. And after an incredible first half for Rashad Penny. I mean, I... Rashad Penny's been playing very well. The Ken Walker run that he had to, I mean, you can see why we knew why when Chris Carson retired, it was like, okay, this is, they drafted Ken Walker as an emergency plan for Rashad Penny. And it's, you know, it's his backfield now for Ken Walker. Uh, we'll, we'll obviously see a little bit of DJ Dallas and Travis Homer, but like Ken Walker is RB one for the Seahawks from this point going forward. And he played fairly well. The only, only criticism outside of the defense being truly, truly awful. But I feel like the defense being awful is not like a, a process issue. I just don't think they have good players. Maybe it's not the right defense, but like, I just don't think the players are good enough. Maybe again, maybe it's the scheme, but 
the process is more about the personnel than what's happening on the field. And it was interesting to see, actually as an encouraging piece, how badly the Seahawks did on third down. The fact that they still scored 32 points in this game, and it was because of these big plays. They let Gino let it rip a lot. And Gino, I got to say, he throws a mean deep ball when Which it's is, on. It's wild to say compared to what we've seen, you know, early in the season when he didn't really have the opportunity in last season. Even in the preseason, it was such a struggle. It's kind of incredible. The ball that he dropped into Lockett, where two defenders are there, you're like, no way. And it just sails right over their heads, right into Tyler Lockett's hands. I mean, there was that one, the first touchdown to Lockett at the end of the half. Incredible. Even losing those points, which really kind of came back to hurt the team. I don't think they're winning this game either way. But the touchdown that DK dropped, who ultimately, like, DK had the monster play for the first touchdown, but DK did not have an amazing game because of a couple of moments that literally cost them points on the board uh, as far as the mistakes DK had with the drop and then the fumble after that. But the only time where I was like, ah, the last drive, they need a touchdown, and they go run, run, first two plays, and then Gino takes the sack or whatever. And, like, I really can't play. If nobody was open, nobody was open, and Gino is trying to make a play. Like, I don't – sure, it's on Gino or whatever, but they had been really doing damage with early down passes, and they had players open and open and open on those early down passes. You even had the ball. There's the ball that Disley dropped, right, where it was right into his hands. You're, like, you're saying right. I, I did not see a second – of this game. I, oh, I all I know is from the game cast. No, it's you not, don't know what I'm talking about. Okay. Not let the me national broadcast down here. Let me Believe describe it, it. Do you remember how for the decade, Russell Wilson was the quarterback in Seattle when he would let the ball fly and it would leave the camera. You would expect a receiver to be there when the ball came down. Of course. That's what it's like watching Geno Smith. Now wow. it is incredible. I am all in on Gino. This is fucking bullshit. If Gino's playing well, let's just love Gino. And that's what he's doing. He's not playing. This isn't like garbage stuff that Gino is doing. He's playing legitimately good quarterback, right? He scrambled the first touchdown to DK. He scrambled around in the pocket, moved, found DK open. Boom. Like Gino is putting the ball exactly where it needs to go. There was a touchdown that DK had in his hands in the second half when they ended up kicking the field goal. And... DK just, it was a straight drop. Like Gino is doing literally nothing wrong. I think Tyler Lockett, they also, they got a pass interference on this play. They went deep to Dwayne Eskridge. Did yeah. you know that was possible? Well, maybe it is when you only have three healthy receivers. <laughs> hey, Penny Hart was healthy. No, he left the game. Did he? Yeah, they were down well, to three healthy that. receivers. This I caught on okay. my Twitter feed. I, Gino's great. And it's not, I, I'm telling you, it is not garbage stuff. It is repeatable skills with Geno Smith, how he's playing. Like I the mean, offense is straight humming. Geno just needs to get traded to a team with a defense capable of supporting him for a chance to win deep and go deep in the playoffs. If this is the Geno for the rest of the season, we need to resign. Geno's like franchise tag, Geno Smith, if he plays this well for the rest of the season. I mean, that's, a, that's a conversation Gino. we could have down the road, but yes. And you have four draft picks four draft picks in the first two rounds to just go out and get a defense. That's it. Like, like the Seahawks have an opportunity waiting for them right now. If the offense is four, four first and second round draft picks can make a difference instantly. They can make a difference right away for a defense in infusing that much talent. The how Seahawks many, how many of these draft picks are used on off ball linebackers? <laughs> Maybe one to replace Jordan Brooks. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> at least one. Uh, the line play, they they got to Andy Dalton a fair amount, but the secondary is just so bad. I mean, Tariq Woolen ended up making a couple of great plays. Uh, he had a fumble return and a pick. Tariq Woolen looks like he's he's got that side locked down, but the secondary, there are a lot, a lot of questions in the secondary. And I think the linebackers, the idea that Jordan Brooks is like the future at linebacker. Uh, I've got some questions. Jordan Brooks, he just can't, can't be in coverage. That's the reality. But I did notice something late in the game before they ultimately uh, lost the game. <laughs> this was on, I think, the stop that they had when the Saints thought that they'd drawn the Seahawks offsides. Do you know that this happened at all? I saw some tweets about it. I didn't really understand them contextually, uh, but it was called a false start when the lineman yeah, they jumped thought, up and they pointed. They thought that Boye Mafe had crossed into the neutral zone. Then the Saints moved. They called it a false start instead of a neutral zone infraction. Uh, on that drive, the way that the Seahawks were hitting and playing defense was a little bit meaner than I'd seen them play all year. There was a Jordan Brooks tackle on Camaro where it's like, I, I feel like the defense, I was listening to the podcast and they were like, defense gets better throughout the year. Maybe it was reading a tweet or response to Ben about the Packers. And it's like, well, if everybody's defense gets better throughout the year, then you're still a wash. Um, <laughs> it's like not every single defense could get better throughout the year. There's so not, there's not an absolute magnitude of offense or defense that matters. It only matters relative to the other teams you play. I think the Seahawks defense is more likely to get better than they are right now relative to the league than some other teams are partially because of the youth that they have uh, and partially also because, because they have so much room to go up exactly they literally cannot be worse so I, I, if the offense keeps i i just i'm i'm in i am in this game didn't dissuade me losing to the saints on the road it was a totally different the Seahawks with Russell Wilson would have lost this game to the Saints on the road. It's not like it's like, God, we would have won that with Russ, right? No, no. Every game that the Seahawks, the maybe even the Falcons game, it's like, it was it could have been, I mean, we did it last year against the Titans, right? It felt a little similar to that one where you're just like, they're winning now. The defense is obviously worse than it's been, but this was the exact type of game that the Seahawks would have lost with Russ. We saw it, it was Jacksonville a handful of years ago, right? It was something like that where you're just fighting and fighting and fighting and then the defense can't get a stop. Uh, I said the Lockett touchdown right before halftime because I, I had written off the half like at that point. It was like, okay, they're going to go in at halftime, you know, down a few. I think it was maybe 19 or no, the touchdown put them up 1917. So they would have been down 1714. It's like, okay, that's a solid first half on the road. They're probably going to lose, but, you know, they've, they've played reasonably well. And then they scored that touchdown. I was like, all right. I'm ready to get hurt again. And then immediately Rashawn Penny, sadly, in a tragic like real life sense, got hurt. And then also the team did lose in the second half. So uh, maybe I, I should have stayed out. Point the Penny injury. As like being a factor in that they still, they moved the ball very well after that. Ken Walker's going to have sure, a Sure, but I'm year. saying like that's, it's a very sad thing to oh, see yeah. happen. I mean, Rashad Penny, the running back who matters. So... All right, we'll talk plenty more about the Seahawks and their upcoming matchups. We'll talk about the Seahawks and Huskies I'm, I'm, and their upcoming I'm matchups like, against Arizona teams. Here's a good chance that we have to miss this game against the Cardinals. Maybe both of the games this weekend. Who knows? Right? Baseball just like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna miss the Utah football game to watch the Mariners. I might. We'll see. Uh but there's a chance that we have to miss this game on Sunday. And I'm legitimately three weeks ago I'd have been like, I'll miss the game even if the Mariners aren't playing, right? <laughs> 
And now I'm like, I want to go because we're beating the Cardinals. Well, hopefully it can be a double header. That's the hope, right? Fingers are crossed. Fingers are crossed. All right. On that note, thanks so much for listening. And uh, again, we'll be back with the regular weekly podcast, probably late Wednesday night. Okay.